Hebrews chapter 6, and we will finish this section of Hebrews, I believe, this morning. The whole section is Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 11 to 6, 12. This morning, we'll be focusing on chapter 6, 9 through 12. Hebrews chapter 6, 9 through 12. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name, and having ministered and it's still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you would not be sluggish, but imitators of those who faith and patience inherit the promises. Lord, as again we continue to worship you now through hearing your word, we pray, Lord, you would give us your grace, whether it's preaching, whether it's actively listening, Lord, may we have your grace to excel and to hear and to learn and to love and to even do your word. We ask for these things, Lord, that Christ might be glorified. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where either your coach or your instructor, after a period of time, said to you, you can do much better? That's your performance. Isn't that really up to really who you are? Have you ever been in that situation? I've been in that situation, I think, twice. I had a class in high school, a public high school, where the teacher was a believer, and somehow she knew I was a believer. And I turned in a report, and I hardly put any work in it at all. And she rebuked me and said, that was really bad. You're a believer. Expressly as a believer, you should have done much better with that report. I'll give you two days to fix it and hand it back in. And I felt really humbled. I felt really convicted. I felt really bad. There were other times when, in Little League, when I was younger, I played second base. And there'd be times where the coach would say, Tom, I know you're much better than that. Do not let the ball get past you. You're much better than that. Focus. And if I focused, then I would do much better. And many times we would end up winning the game. When we are corrected, are challenged about our performance, our, our conduct, or our work, oftentimes, and not always, but oftentimes, what happens? We seek to do better. Because we're not doing as well as we could be doing. And that is very similar to these verses in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 12. If you notice verse 9, He says, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. And remember, he's just spoke to them about their possible apostasy if they don't continue on in the faith. Remember chapter 6, 4 through 6, he said, though you've experienced God, you've experienced Christ, if you... Don't continue on. You could fall away and then it's impossible to to repent. Basically, you would go to hell and be burned up, as it says in verse 8. But then in verse 9, he says, But, beloved, you are loved by God. And we, probably in an editorial we, we are convinced, we are persuaded that actually that's not the case. You might be and are being sluggish. You see that in chapter five, and you see that in chapter six here at the end of verse at the end uh, verse twelve. But that is not really you. You are a type of a person that that has and can do better than that. This is what you see in verses nine through twelve. Now we've said that this whole section is basically grow up in Christ. Otherwise, you're going to face potential danger. You're going to place yourself in a dangerous position if you don't grow up in Jesus. And that this whole passage, chapter 5, verse 11 through 6, 12, 
gives three directions of how to grow up in Jesus. First, we said, view lazy listening as infantile. And we saw that in chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. And then last week, we said the second direction is resolve to grow up, choose. I'm going to grow up in Jesus. We see that in chapter 6, 1 through 8. And then this morning, a third direction to help us to, to grow up is gain assurance of salvation. Gain assurance of salvation. That is, when you come to a place in your life where you know that you are truly saved and so you can live better. You understand that you are saved not just from hell, but you are saved to live a better life. Similar to if you were in a performance, maybe you're an actor, and the first act, you didn't act that well. And then when you went behind the curtain, the director might come to you and say, you got to do a lot better. We expect much more from you because you're such a good actor. In a similar way, the Holy Spirit is saying God has saved you and his salvation is real. And we've seen what you've done in the past and even some things you are doing now. So we're convinced that you're not an apostate. You're not going to drift away. So be and do even better. And all this happens because there is this understanding that actually you are saved. And again, look at verse 9. He says, we are convinced, we're persuaded things that accompany salvation. Though we spoke in a certain way, in a rhetorical way, to challenge you and to get your attention, we really think you're saved. And even verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Work hard to show this diligence so you can gain even the word, the full assurance of hope. God wants these Hebrews to know that are struggling potentially with drifting away from Christ. He wants them to know they're saved. Isn't that interesting? Here are these believers that they're struggling in their faith, being tempted through persecution and through loss of material items and relationships to potentially walk away from the faith. And yet God tells them here, the Spirit is saying, at least to most of them, that you're saved. Can you be saved and be tempted to leave Christ? Yes. Peter was and Judas was. Judas listened and followed the temptation and ultimately fell away from Christ. Peter denied Christ, but got right with Christ and ended up dying for Christ. Here in this passage, I think a way to sum it up, verses 9 through 12, is to grow up in Jesus, we need to gain an assurance that we are really saved. Once we have this knowledge that we are saved, I am saved, then that gives us encouragement to keep going on and to really grow up even more in Christ. Not just this passage, but you see this throughout Scripture. One of the main themes of 1 John is that you have an understanding that you have eternal life. Right? 1 John 5.13 These things I have written to you, to you that believe on the Son of God in order that you might know that you have eternal life. One of the main themes of 1 John is knowing that you are truly saved. Even Second Peter, which we may look at a little bit later this morning, Second Peter verses 5 through 10, deal with knowing that you are truly saved, that you have a knowledge that God has elected you. How do you know that you're elected? Because you see Christ transforming your life. So this is a, a biblical theme that is, that we should have an assurance of salvation. And when we have that, that encourages, encourages us to really grow and really press forward. Not be lazy, not to be sluggish, but to labor for him. So first, how do we gain this assurance of salvation? First, it's by understanding there is a difference between assurance of salvation and security of salvation. There is a difference between a surety of salvation 
and security of salvation. And if we confuse those, then that could put us in a difficult position. We could make some serious mistakes. When you look at this passage, notice verse 9 says, there are things that are accompanying salvation. And then verse 10 says, for, and he's going to list why. He sees labor and love and their life coming out of their salvation. You see that in verses 9 and 10. This passage is talking about assurance of salvation. There are signs that somebody is truly saved. There is not necessarily a immediate, obvious sign of security of salvation in the same way as assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation is subjective, and it can come and go. Security of salvation is external, objective, and never fades or diminishes. Assurance of salvation is based upon your performance, your labor for Christ, your godliness. Security of salvation is based upon the life, the death, the resurrection, and the performance of Jesus Christ. Security of salvation is bought by Jesus. Assurance of salvation will come as you pursue the Lord. And we need to understand that that's a a difference. For example, justification never improves. You can improve in your godliness, and the more that you improve in being like Jesus, then that gives you more assurance that you are truly saved, that you truly know God. Uh, For example, just briefly, we don't want to spend too much time, but 2 Peter chapter 1 Verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. And in verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. What are these things that should be increasing? Well, these are listed in verse 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. Faith, more excellence, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and even love. So then there is this emphasis put in Scripture and and many different books. We'll look at one more a little bit later of having this understanding that we are truly saved. And like it says in 1 John, we can know that we have eternal life based upon different things that we see in our life and to whether or not we are holding on to the truth. But security of salvation was purchased for us by Christ. Again, from last week, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. If you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a guarantee, as an engagement ring, that you are truly saved. Philippians 1.6, he that began a good work in you will perfect it until that day. So we mustn't confuse the two. Our salvation is secured by that blood and resurrection of Jesus. 1 Peter 1.5 says it's undefiled It's protected by the power of God reserved for us in heaven. But assurance, understanding that you are saved and feeling that you're saved, that can come and go. The more that we pursue Jesus and deal with our sin, the more that we have this assurance, this awareness of, yes, the Lord knows me and I know him and I'm saved. Thank you, Lord. Second way to gain assurance of salvation. Number two, by understanding your salvation will show. By understanding your salvation will show. Salvation by God is so wonderful, so powerful, so magnificent 
that in some way your salvation will show itself. You you can't hide it. It, it will appear. Now, it can appear at different levels and different believers, but if you are saved, you can't hold back that life of Christ that's in your life. Look at verse 9, but beloved. And he's saying that not just that we love you, but you're loved by God. We are convinced. We are persuaded. Now again, remember who he's talking to. Chapter 2, verse 3, he says, How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's told them to pay attention in chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 12, he said, Take care, brethren, that not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Today, as long as still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast in the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. There are these verses in Hebrews where he gives them warnings and is basically saying, hold on to Christ. Don't back off. Go forward. Never let go of Jesus. Go all the way until the end. If there's any evil in, in your heart, you have to really deal with it. But he says these things not because he doesn't think that they are lost. He deals with these because he thinks they are saved. He speaks this way because he believes they are really, really saved. And even that their salvation, though they may be dealing in a strong way with this temptation to desert Christ, he believes that the writer, the Spirit of God, through the writer, that there are things which accompany salvation and so that they are truly saved. That is, even if, I'm not saying all of them are, are necessarily immature, though in chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, he says, apparently many of them are immature, but even though being immature, salvation still comes out. Immature Christians still give evidence that they know Jesus. There's still some fruit in their life. Again, that's why he says we're convinced. We, we are persuaded of better things than what I just talked about. Walking away from Jesus. Things that coincide with salvation. And then he's going to talk about that in verse 10. Of, of exactly what that is. Salvation will exhibit itself in some way. Is salvation being exhibited in your own life? Now, at this time, the temptation can be salvation is definitely not being exhibited in my husband's life. Salvation is definitely not being exhibited in my wife's life. Salvation is definitely not being exhibited in my parents' life at home or my kids' life or my neighbors or my bosses. But I would encourage us that we need to, we need to think about our own lives. Is salvation being exhibited in my own life? In some way. Now the question is, which we'll get to in just a moment, is what does that look like? And we'll see that in just a moment. But first, there's a third way to gain assurance of salvation. We've said first, understand it's a difference between assurance of salvation and security of salvation. Assurance is understanding that truly you have been saved by God. That can come and go. It should be growing as you grow in Christ. Security of salvation is the work that God did through God the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. He saved you and he keeps you saved. That's objective and external. Secondly, your salvation will in some way show itself, right? Jesus said you will know them by their fruits. In some way, you will have fruit in your life if you're saved. And then third is by getting encouragement that God knows. God knows. God knows whether or not you're saved. God knows what you've done for him that others may not know. Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and serving and having served and still serving the saints, the holy ones, 
the church, the believers. In fact, here in verse 10, when it says, For God is not unjust, the first word in the sentence is unjust. That's what's being emphasized. The Holy Spirit is saying, God is incredibly righteous and understanding and knowing all that you've done for him. Even if others don't see it or understand it or don't appreciate it, God knows and he will deal with you in a way that is consistent with his character. It's interesting that, and I think instructive, that this is being shared to these believers that are being tempted to drift away. There are times, I think, when we can be tempted to drift away when we seek to do right for God. We seek to do right for Christ and to serve others like these believers were doing to friends and relatives that were in prison. And at times, maybe nobody knows about it or thinks bad about it. And maybe you can feel unappreciated about it. And then you might be tempted to get bitter and then better toward God and then better toward the church and then just walk away. And so here, the Spirit of God, I think, is saying in verse 10, God knows, of course, he's God, he knows all things, but God knows when even others don't know the fruit of salvation that's in your life. There are times when we do things, in other words, that are righteous, that are godly, that that are holy, that do exhibit that we are saved, and nobody sees those. Now, we don't want to talk ourselves into being saved when we are not saved, but I wonder sometimes if some of you talk yourselves into being unsaved when you are saved. I've talked to people at this church, at Grace Community Church, churches in India, that have talked themselves of being unsaved when they are really saved. We can talk ourselves into being saved when we are unsaved, and we can talk ourselves into being unsaved when actually we are saved. Now, one is worse than the other, right? But we should also be careful that we don't take people's opinions about us and use that as the word of God. And here, the writer is in a great way, again, it's the Spirit of God, is really getting them to understand that I've just rebuked you because you've been behaving like infants. Be careful that you grow up so you, so you don't fall away. But I'm not saying that you're, necess- that you're unsaved. I'm saying be careful and go forward, but God knows and understands what you have done for him. By helping others. We have to be careful that we don't get too discouraged. Even even if we sin, we have to be careful that we don't get too discouraged about our sin. We need to be humble and to be, in one sense, miserable and broken and poor in spirit about our sin, but not stay there. Satan would love you and I to be discouraged about our sinful condition and about our sin that we commit and never get out of that. And then despair. Then again, get bitter and walk away from the Lord. But rather we deal with our sin, we confess it, we understand that we're saved, not by our good deeds, but by the good deed of Christ and by his grace. We confess, we trust him, we go forward. And I think that's why you have this part in verse 10, that God is righteous. He's, in other words, God is going to treat you consistently to his character. He, he understands, he's not going to forget not, not that you're saved by it. Uh, there are some Catholic commentaries that will use this verse in order to teach work salvation. Verse 10 is not saying that they're saved by their work, but rather is saying that their work manifests their salvation. And God knows that. And God has seen that. And so we thank the Lord about that. Well, number four. So he said, first, understand there's a difference between assurance and security. Number two, understanding your salvation will show up. You can't hide it. And in a similar way, you know, there are sins in our life that eventually we can't hide. We have to mortify it. 
Otherwise, in some way, it will show up. What's the same way with salvation? Salvation is going to have fruit. You can't stop the life of Christ in you. It is going to exhibit itself in some way. Third, we get encouragement that God knows. And the fourth point ties into this. And it deals with the motivation of why we do what we do. Number four, by laboring and loving Christians for God's glory. By laboring and loving Christians for God's glory. Now, there are other books and other passages which give other ways and means of understanding that you're saved. This passage here says, by laboring and loving other Christians for the glory of God. Look at verse 9 and 10 and how they're related. Verse 9 says that we're convinced basically that in your life we see things that accompany salvation. Verse 10 then says, for God hasn't forgot what you've done. What is it that they've done? Your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. Well, in what way? And having, and it's the word deacon, diakonos, and how you have in the past served, and how you are still serving the saints. It's a tremendous verse here. The Spirit of God is saying in these two texts that there is enough evidence that you would be found guilty and convicted of laboring and loving other believers for the glory of God. There's enough that you have done that if you were in court, you could be convicted of that. And some of them were thrown into prison for laboring and loving other believers unto the glory of God. If we could ever be guilty of something, I pray be that we are guilty of that. Again, this verse, I think, is incredible. It's the way that it's written. Keep looking at verse 10. So he talks about their work and the love. And in one sense, the way that is written, the way this is written in Greek, it could be your, your labor of love. It's not necessarily a sharp division, in other words, between work and love. A, a, the work of a true believer will love, and love of a true believer will what? Work. Faith works, well, love also works. And it's a work of love. And again, the, the Greek itself could be, at least paraphrased, to be labor of love. The word here, the term for work, is where we get our word energy, ergon, work. But notice here it says toward his name. And the, the Greek is ace, ace ta, anima, ace ta, e-i-s, and the second word would be t-o. It's the idea of unto, or sometimes it can be translated for the sake of his name. So these believers, these these Hebrew Christians, that in some way they they came to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their lives didn't get easier, it got worse. Some of their friends and relatives were put in prison, they went to see them, and then those that, that did that action went to see uh, prisoners, believers that were in prison. Even they then were persecuted for doing that. And then in that, then, they are being mocked and ridiculed to go back to a old Judaistic, now non-Christian religion that did not have salvation. They are being drawn back to that to some degree. Yet in the midst of that, God is reminding them that I've seen that you're saved because you were willing to do that and you are still putting yourself in that position. And ultimately, it's for me. It's for my name and for my glory. 
Here he's not saying just it was they loved their brethren. If you read First John, read First John this week over and over and over. He'll, especially chapters 3 and 4, he'll say, if you've been born again, then you're going to love your brother. If you don't love the, the brother, your brother or sister in Christ, then you're not saved. All right, First John, we give four or five tests. One of the tests is, do you love your brother? That's a, yes. This is, in one sense, adding maybe a step to that, and it's saying, it's not just that you love your fellow Christian, but you love your fellow Christian to the glory of God, for the purpose of God. Years ago, I would go to North County Correctional, it's a super maximum security prison in Los Angeles. And I would get in there, and I would preach the word. Guess who was also there? Many cults were there. They were, in one sense, loving. You can go to India, you can go to any country. There would be people there from other religions that would be physically offering relief. In Africa, you have that right here in the U.S., many places. You have many religions, many people, in one sense, physically sacrificing what they have for others. That is, in a sense, right, that is love. And as Christians, if we don't show that, then if we are professing Christians and we don't have that kind of action in our life, then our faith is empty. But this is saying even more, this is saying, and you didn't do it just for show, you did it for the glory of God, to please God, to make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what verse 10 is saying. You did this work of sacrifice, not to make a name for yourself or make a name for the church, but to make a name for God, to spread God's fame. These are, these believers, again, that are struggling, and even they're called the you're kind of like babes. You shouldn't be babes by this time, but you're kind of like babes. But yet, in the midst of that, they could not resist those that are saved, and it seems most of them were saved. They cannot resist serving other believers in the church. And it was motivated because they wanted to please God and glorify God and show that the Roman world and the pagan world that since Jesus is sufficient and is supreme by faith, we trust that in some way he'll meet our needs. And so we're going to be willing to sacrifice. And even if it costs us, we're going to go to this prison and love other believers. Isn't that a great fruit of salvation? Would we do that? If it becomes to be a, a state in the U.S., a, a status, a culture where if you're a believer, a true believer, you could be thrown into prison. And if we associate with them, then we ourselves could be thrown into prison. Would we be willing to do that? If we are, that would be a sign of salvation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Isn't this amazing? They knew that they had a better possession and one that was more lasting. And so they were willing to be mocked, ridiculed, persecuted, to be robbed. And in that, to show that there was something that was better than all the material stuff of life. 
Because Jesus is sovereign and supreme and sufficient. And again, they did this not to make a name for themselves, but to make a name for God, for Christ, for Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, why is it that you love people? In a marriage, in any relationships, in evangelism, we can often be tempted to get bitter and resentful and to get tired and to get worn out because we are seeking to be loved. We're seeking people to appreciate us. And if somebody appreciates me, then I'll do the ministry. But here for these believers, they're not doing for doing it primarily for, for appreciation. Look back at verse 10. They're doing it for his name. For his name. The biblical motor for the motivation to do ministry is the fame of God, the glory of Christ. Especially in marriage, especially in parenting, especially in evangelism. If we have that as our motor, I want to glorify God, I want to make His name known in the sense of I want his sufficiency and supremacy to ooze out of my life and that I'm willing to lose everything if it means being able to love him and to love these other people, so be it. God is all that I need. It's it's similar to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Paul writes, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. How did he know that they were elect of God? Because they had work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. And even in this passage that we have, it talks about hope, it talks about faith, and it talks about love and even work. One way to know that you are truly saved is that you see a work of faith, this labor of love, this this hope, and it's all to make much of the sufficiency of God in Christ. And again, I, I will keep saying, I think it's instructive for us that these believers were not, they, they weren't like the Corinthians, but they were in a, they were still immature. And yet, even in their immaturity, they were doing ministry. <laughs> right? He says in chapter 5 at the end, he says, you're, for the most part, you're dull of hearing, and it's like you're babes. However, you're still seeking to love others, even at cost. And that's being like Jesus. It seems that they were, in a sense, fooling around with uh, Old Testament sacrifices still. Maybe some of them were actually going to the synagogue and every now and then offering a sacrifice just to be careful, just to cover their bases. But it wasn't that they were trusting in that. It was something that there was persecution. And so he's calling them, don't do that. You need to grow up. And I've seen in your life that you love the Lord because you are loving others. Your love for the Lord is seen because you're willing to love others even if it costs you everything. So keep trusting Jesus. Go to Him. He's paid it once and for all. Number five. There is this fifth ingredient here or this fifth detail that we can look at about how to gain assurance of salvation. Number five, by exercising zeal in this. And I think that's how we can sum up verses 11 and 12. A way to grow in Christ is to gain salvation, to gain assurance of salvation. The more that we are aware of and appreciate that God has really saved me, then normally, 
I'm, I'm going to want to do better, to be more and more like Christ. When I see God working in my life, when you see that, your normal reaction isn't to, oh, I hate this. I, I hate to see God in my life. This is terrible. No, normally when you see God working in you and through you and blessing others, what happens? You want to see it more. And so you want to get closer to Christ and be used more of him. And so this assurance then that you gain helps you to be more and more willing to grow and be more committed to him. The the fifth means by doing this, at least in this passage here, is by, by exercising zeal in this. And you see this in verse 11 and verse 12. You can see where he says, we desire. And the word and in verse 11, you could translate it and say further or, or furthermore. Uh, additionally, we, we long, we passionately, some versions would say passionately, we want each one of you, not just one or two, we want, you know, he's being very individual. And I think talking to those that are being immature, acting like babies and are being tempted to, to drift away from Christ, he's saying, I want each one of you, everybody here in this room this morning, to show that same diligence, the same effort, the same zeal, the same work ethic in terms of gaining this assurance that that you are truly saved, that in your life there are things that accompany salvation, that you have this, as he says in verse 11, full assurance, not just knowing that you're saved a little bit, but really, really knowing that you're saved and that you would have this all the way until the end. Have you ever talked to somebody that has no assurance of salvation? There's been times when I've talked to Muslims and they don't have assurance of salvation. They don't know if they're saved or not, truly until the end. And so I shared with one that I, I know about a shadow of a doubt, not because I'm so godly, but because of, of Christ and his work on the cross and then secondly in my life, but also because God is holy and keeps his promises that I have assurance of salvation. And he cannot, he, he did not understand that. And we talked for a long time. Here, this passage is saying that there can be a full assurance of hope until that end. Don't you? I do. I, I want to have this awareness that if today be my day, if today be the day that I die, that if I approach that time and my breath gets shallow, <laughs> I won't be, am I saved, am I saved? And full of fear, but rather, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There was a time, right, some years ago, and I just kept saying to myself, saying to myself, for by grace I have been saved. For by grace I have been saved. For by grace I have been saved. I want to have that awareness of salvation to be this full estate to where it's a home going. I want that for each one of you. That death is not something, yes, it's, they always will have some fear of the unknown to a degree, but also that the, the sovereign grace music uh, song, death is not dying. You know, it's for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. It's true. It's true. And we want that type of full assurance of hope. And again, chapter 10, verse 34, these believers said that there is something that is much better. And even if once we get into chapter 11, Abraham and Moses and all these saints, their eyes weren't fixed on this life, but on the next life. And that's even why Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, calls us to look at Christ, fix our eyes on him. Now this... This verse, the, these verses here are, are powerful. Here when it says, we desire, it's the word epithumia, lust. 
Lust in the Bible can be used for good things or bad things, but it's that strong, overwhelming desire. That's why some versions translate it as passion. And so here, it's the Spirit of God writing through this writer, says that it's the sovereign will of God, passionately, for you to know that you're saved. Don't you want to hear God say to you, Beloved, that's what it says in verse 9. It's not just the human writer. It's the Spirit of God saying, You are loved by God. And to have that assurance that God says, I love you. You're my beloved. That God would say that to me, that God would say that to any of us as a great act of mercy and grace, all done in the work of Christ. Then it says in verse 11 that each one would show diligence to that end. How does that work out? That we have this extreme effort in our life, in order to have this full assurance of hope. That is, the hope is heaven. The hope is being with Christ. The hope is a resurrected body with him forever and ever in complete glory and happiness and joy. Uh, Praise God. Hallelujah. This is what God wants. And in context, this diligence, this full assurance, comes out of verse 10. We're not not talking about security of salvation or how to be saved, but it goes, the assurance goes back to verse 10 where we are working and loving the body of Christ for the glory of God. When we love other believers, especially those that have needs, and we do that not looking to make a name for ourselves and even doing it at cost, And even if nobody ever says anything about it, we do it for Jesus. Then the Spirit of God within us gives testimony to that in the sense of well done. And that gives us the assurance, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm saved and I'm going to keep pressing forward, Lord. This is what this text is saying. And even verse 12 says, don't be sluggish in this. Don't be lazy in this. But rather imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Be Exercise zeal in this faithful patience of being willing to be like Jesus, laying down your life, even when it costs you, even if you never get ever rewarded for it in this life. And yet you still love others, especially believers, to the glory of God. And nobody ever appreciates you, ever. And you fight the bitterness. You never get embittered. And you keep laying down your life all for the glory of God. Because, you know, in heaven, you have a better possession. You have Jesus and eternity and perfection and glory and righteousness and happiness and light forever and forever and forever. And so, gladly, you give it up. Both what you have and earthly praise for him. That gives evidence of salvation. And we're called to be imitators, to mimic those that did that in the Old Testament, which verses 13 and following will illustrate, and even chapter 11 will illustrate. We're called to be like Old Testament saints. They were looking forward to Christ. You know, think about Abraham. Remember, we went through Genesis. Abraham had very little revelation from God. And God said, pick up all that you have and move to this land. I'm going to give the whole land to you. And we we might criticize Abraham in some ways. But Abraham obeyed God and never really truly inherited himself that kingdom. All the land of Israel in terms of being his and having his tent on every corner of that land. He didn't really see that. But he did it by faith, looking to what God had for him in the promised land. He had faithful patience. So evidence of our salvation is that when we are faithfully, patiently loving others at cost, 
for no reward other than God's smile. That's a fruit of salvation. And that is how we grow in Jesus. Summarizing. Addiction to making much of God by loving others, like Jesus, gives assurance. Addiction to making much of God by loving others, like Jesus Christ did, gives assurance. Concluding this section, then, we could say it's time to grow up. How do we grow up? We listen to the Word of God. We resolve, I'm going to find at least one area in my life this month, this year, that I want to grow up in and I want to change in. And then third, I'm going to seek to be addicted to making much of God by loving others like Jesus. Even if I never get appreciated for it, I just want God's smile, and through that, that will give me assurance. Praise God. Thank you. If you are saved, keep going forward. Grow up. To gain assurance, follow this word from God. And God will, will bless you. And God will give you a, a testimony that you are saved and that you know him. And that will give you zeal to do even better for him. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for how powerful it is and how sharp it is. Lord, we pray that you'd use it to help us to to be like Jesus, to lay down our life for our wives, for our husbands, for our sisters, our brothers, for friends, for those in the believing community, and then for our neighbors that don't know Christ. And we don't do it for earthly gain or earthly fame, but we all do it to manifest the sweetness and the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ and that you are glorified in that, Father. We pray that would be the desire of our heart and that that would give this full assurance in us this hope of being with you forever. Imperfection and glory with other believing loved ones forever and forever and forever, Lord. May we have that full assurance in our hearts and so then desire to grow even more in Jesus. Lord, we give you the praise and we give you the glory. We pray for your sake. Amen.